Just as the body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptised by one spirit, to form one body, whether Jew or Gentile, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. And so the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now if I should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? And if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, and the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honourable, we treat with special honour. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honour to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now eagerly desire the greater gifts, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. So Paul is going to come and share God's word with us. He's going to fill us in a little bit about the uh, bridge project throughout the sermon, apparently, which I'm loving the idea of. Uh, but uh, if I may, can I pray for you before you speak? Love God, we thank you for bringing Paul to be with us this morning. We ask, Lord, that you would anoint him by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would grant him words that will speak your truth and speak to us the message that you would have us here today in this place and for this people. In the name of Jesus, Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to be here. Um, and if you're visiting, welcome. Me too. Um, I'm Paul Cable. Is that another one? Yeah, another free mind. Thank you. Um, very kind. 
Um, yeah, my name's Paul Cable, I'm the Deputy Director of the Bridge Youth Project. So if you were here last year, I guess I should start by apologising, you've been downgraded. You had the Director last year, you've got the Deputy Director this year. So my apologies for that, it's, it's great to be with you. If you were here last year and you did have the opportunity to hear my friend Alex speak, he shared a little bit about where the bridge was a year ago and particularly our priority about being with. Our sort of campaign theme, if you like, last year was being with. This has been an emerging priority of intentionally being a visible presence in local schools. Um, for the last sort of 20 years or so, we have been in and out of lots of different schools and our vision has been around bringing faith, hope and love to children and young people in those schools. We're still really, really passionate that young people get to hear the good news of Jesus and experience something of uh, life with him. But what we have discovered actually is that there is power in being with, in being intentionally in the school uh, all day for the whole, well, as much of the week as we can be. And so our role has changed slightly and we're really passionate about seeing chaplains in local schools who are there befriending the staff, the students, for one or two days a week, every week. Now, kind of some of the theology behind this, Alex shared last year as well. He um, may have shared with you kind of a common parenting experience, and perhaps you have seen this or experienced it yourself, where you go for a walk with a young child. I have a five-year-old called Amos, and when he was very young, and particularly during the lockdowns, we would go out for a walk along country roads, and he would not get where I wanted to go fast enough. I could not get him moving. I was like, Amos, there's tractors at the end of this road, but he was easily distracted by bugs and plants or stones or just walking in the wrong direction. I had kind of um, uh, this kind of revelation of I can either just be stressed out about this and try and drag him where I want to go, or I can meet him where he is. I can meet him where he is. I can get down to his level. I can discover the world through his eyes. I can meet him where he is at. And we might talk about the incarnation, which is a word um, that talks about Jesus coming to be with us. This is kind of that idea that God does that for us in Christ, and perhaps we are called to do that for those around us, to simply be a presence in their life, to be alongside them. And so that's kind of brought us to this point. If we have the next slide up, um, this year we've announced kind of our new vision. It's a big one, but we are longing to see a chaplaincy presence in every school across the Diocese of Salisbury, just kind of a quite a big area in the sort of next 10 years. We're passionate about this. And there's a few ways that we are planning on doing them. We want to create new pathways into school chaplaincy. So we want to kind of enable people to be able to um, step into this role more accessibly. And we're going to do that through partnering with local organisations around training. And key, and I'm going to share more about this third one later on, because this is part of our invitation for partnership with the local church, is that we want to form chaplaincy teams. It's not going to be a bridge chaplain who is paid by the bridge in every school across the diocese. That's not what we're about. 
And what we do want to do is help release local churches to be a chaplaincy presence and to see volunteers and local churches in schools and we're equipped and resource and support as much as we can. And our approach to chaplaincy is that we are quite holistic. If we're going to be truly with young people where they are, um, then we're meeting them in a number of key areas, which we call faith, hope and love, or well-being, spirituality, sorry, spirituality, well-being and advocacy. And these are kind of the three areas of work. So our chaplains, as they go into the school for the day, perhaps on the school gates, engaging with parents. This uh, last couple of weeks, there was an upset parent. One of our chaplains invited them into the school for a cup of tea to kind of spend time listening to them, finding out what was going on. This helped the school understand this child and their background as well, which was amazing. The chaplain then went into a collective worship where they were able to kind of lead the school in a time of worship and reflection. They then had a meeting with someone in school um, who delivers RE and helped them develop and think through their curriculum from a Christian perspective. These are some of the different opportunities that we have. The chaplain then welcomes in a local mentor, perhaps Richard, into Sarah McAdney. Um, and uh, enables a time where someone from the community can spend some time listening to a young person, working through and giving them practical tools to enrich and encourage their mental well-being. This is what our chaplaincy is doing across local schools. And perhaps if you are interested in that and excited by that vision, then please do come and find me at the end, um, because we would love to explore with local churches ways of involving the church and being a bridge and enabling local churches to create these teams in schools that perhaps we're not even in currently. So this is what we've been doing in schools. The last year we've had chaplains in 11 schools for at least a day a week. Starting uh, this September, we're now in 17 local schools, secondary and primary, community and faith. Um, there's plans that will be in 20 by the new year, and we have waiting lists and schools signed up for September. Schools are loving this idea of chaplaincy, they're seeing how powerful it is in their communities. Um, and what's more is Alex and I um, visited uh, all of our chaplaincy schools this year, and we spoke to up to about 100 students for kind of an hour in small groups. And just what they have shared with us has really encouraged us. I just wanted to share some of what young people are saying about chaplaincy, if that's okay. I'm not texting, don't worry. Uh, notes on here now. Um, one of the areas uh, was around that they, they noticed that chaplain was a distinctive relational presence. And what, what they meant by this, this is our words, but what the students were saying is there's something different about the chaplain to anyone else in this school community. They, got time for us, they're not kind of rushing us back into a lesson, they're meeting us where we are. One student um, says, I don't feel rushed, the chaplain meets me at my own pace. The chaplain takes time out of his schedule just to listen. Another said, he's a little bit like a dad, he's always super proud of you and supportive and stuff. Actually, you know, stuff and support. Um, I have more in-depth, kind of non-school-focused conversations with my chaplain than I do with anybody else. I'm more of a friend than a figure of authority. So we think this is really, really uh, transformative. This has enabled the students to have someone in school that they can trust 
and someone knew that they could build an appropriate and helpful, um, healthy relationship with. They also said that chaplains provided an inclusive and welcoming environment. So they said things like they're really kind, they're understanding, they're inclusive of everyone. Someone else said um, that the club was a helpful place to ask questions and to think about faith and to interact with every day. Someone else said, this is one of my favourite quotes from all the interviews, she makes a banging hot chocolate. <laughs> this is so important that we're creating these spaces that feel safe and welcoming and inclusive for the students. I'm going to quiz with the others, but um, the students told us about how our sort of courses and mentoring um, improved outcomes in well-being. And these outcomes were really broad. And again, we think this is really important to the chaplain because they're meeting the young people where they are. They're not just coming in with a free package kind of thing that just has one or two outcomes. They're listening to the student, finding out what's happening and responding to them in their need and in the opportunity. It's a vital ingredient for spiritual growth. Even if a young person said to us, no, I don't do the God thing, I'm, I'm an atheist, I'm, I'm not interested. They then followed that up by saying, but I would be open to talking about faith with my chapter, thinking about spirituality. And so there's a great opportunity here to, to explore something of the possibility of God, to allow that space for the big questions of faith and life. There's an invitation to spiritual practices in the school and increased community connections. The chaplaincy thing is really exciting. And I feel like I'm kind of doing like a little Apple presentation for anyone who might be the wrong audience, sorry. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, anyway, we're really excited by this. So uh, yeah, chaplaincy 2.0 comes out next year. Um, anyway. Let's move on a little bit. Can I have the next slide? We'd love to introduce <laughs> to you um, our chaplains. Um, and uh, you'll notice Louise in the top right is in Wilton, so she'll be kind of your local one, which is very exciting. Please be praying for our chaplains um, and uh, thinking of them in their, their schools. Um, and uh, yeah, the next slide as well for you, please. Fantastic. Thank you. Yeah, I just wanted to thank you for your continuous prayers, actually, and your support of us. And like I said, I will be at the back at the end. And if, if there are other ways you would like to be involved or support us, then please um, do come and find me. Um, this idea of being with, I've kind of talked about the sort of incarnational angle, this idea of building kind of relationships and being there and with. But it has another angle that I wanted to explore a little bit with our sort of remaining time um, together. Now recently, um, Steve Chalk has published a manifesto for work with young people. Um, and one of the 10 things that he suggests is that we need to come away from the idea of doing work to young people and to start thinking about how we do work with young people. Now you can see why this captured my attention with my bridge hat on, because we're all about being with. He shares that because we're made in the image of God, this says something of the way that we were made for connection with one another. The triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit has eternally existed as community, as relationship. And therefore, being made in his image, we too were made for relationship, to participate within God's own self, but also to participate in community and to belong to one another. 
And church is not just a place that we come to on a Sunday. It is the people, it's the connections that are swept up into the life of God. And in, in an age of loneliness and isolation, what does this mean particularly for our young people? Well, Chalk writes the following, that the sacred responsibility of nurturing and protecting young people and families cannot be left to a few specialist agencies. Rather, this is the job of the whole community. We want to keep children safe from harm, as well as ensure that parents and carers enjoy the resources that they need to love and support them. The way we do community must be revisited. It takes a village to raise a child. It's one of the most overquoted phrases of the last decade, but our problem is that although we sign up to the doctrine, at the very same time, we fail to invest in building or supporting the philosophy and instead have simply left things to a bunch of paid professionals. So rather than focusing on specialised work to young people, Chalk is highlighting the invitation to the whole community, the people of God, to involve and journey with young people. Young people made in the image of God and therefore relational beings in need of community. I think Jesus was really good at this, right? There's uh, an account in Matthew uh, 19 that you might be familiar with as parents bring their children to Jesus and um, for them to receive a blessing. They had seen Jesus feed thousands. They had heard rumours that he had walked on water. Perhaps they had seen him heal the paralysed man or heard some of his life-changing teachings. They wanted their children to share in this. What could Jesus do for them? Enter the disciples. We're told the disciples rebuke them. No entry signs are placed up. No children. Leave them to the paid professionals. The parents can talk to them themselves. Don't we have a Sunday school that they can go to? Why are they here? We're left speculating as to why the disciples acted like this. We know that children in those days did hold a lower sort of social status than they do perhaps today. They perhaps were not always seen as individual beings in the way that our sort of very individualistic culture um, does, but rather they were seen perhaps as an extension of the wider family. What is clear from the disciples' reaction, however, is that they clearly thought Jesus wouldn't be interested in spending time with children. They thought that they had little off to offer, no position or power or money or status perhaps. But when Jesus saw this unfolding in front of him, we're told that he was very displeased about this. The disciples had failed to realise that the good news of Jesus is that he makes himself available mm -hmm. to all. Regardless of their position or power or status, Jesus is good news for everybody. This is not about human efforts, it's not about our status, but what God has done through Jesus to unite us all in Christ. This is the gospel, this is the good news, that he makes himself available to each and every one of us, that we can all access forgiveness and hope and life in him. One of the key ways um, we sometimes separate ourselves from young people is by placing them in the category of a developmental stage. 
In other words, we kind of treat young people as human becomings rather than human beings. We wait until adulthood, until we consider them to offer any value to society. Young people are projects for developing into adulthood. So you can almost picture the disciples' voice. No children until they're a bit older, then they can engage and meet with Jesus, not until they can understand his, his teachings, not until they have a decent question to ask. But what we learn in the gospel is that our identity is ours by redemption, not by development. It's not something we have to grow into to earn, but rather something that is given to each of us in abundance. Jesus encounters, transforms and redeems each of us where we are. He doesn't wait for us to offer anything of value to society. Our identity is found in him, not what we might become. He demonstrates this in this simple act of inviting children into the space and allowing them to be children, because that's enough. And this levels the playing field a little bit, doesn't it? Uh, because Doctors of theology have just as much access to Jesus as school dropouts. And toddlers have as much right to Jesus as their parents and grandparents. Rich or poor, Jesus meets you where you are and invites you to join his family. It's not about necessarily who we are, where we come from, what we do. We're welcome. So at this point, you're probably wondering, wasn't our reading from Corinthians What's going on? Well, I want to finish there now. Because I think Paul is reflecting on this amazing new reality of being in Christ. What does this look like? How does this level the playing field? Our diversity, our difference, how are we still united and embraced? So Paul argues actually, I think, in this passage that our diversity and our differences actually enrich the family of God. That the diversity of the body of Christ forms a stunning picture of unity and togetherness. There's a couple of places um, that I just want to draw on briefly now. At verse 13, he says, For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jew or Gentile, slave or free, we were all given the one spirit to drink. This links to another passage in Galatians where Paul says something very similar as neither Jew nor Gentile, slave or free nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And what this means is that the truest thing about us is that we are in Christ. There is a new reality in Jesus Christ and what he has done. <laughs> Reflecting on this, and in terms of race, and Esau McCauley writes that this is not about us and being colorblind and just failing to see our differences and, and failing to see things like gender or race but rather recognising that in Christ, our diversity and difference is weaved together into one united family. And this is why in the book of Revelation, John can write on his vision of seeing a multitude made up of all nations, all tribes and nations, yet they are all declaring the Lamb who was slain. There's unity in diversity, not uniformity. I said that I would uh, take my son out uh, to walk. So recently we went up to the kind of top of the Woodford Valleys and there's some fantastic views. And we were just kind of pointing things out. 
Amos, look, you see the water over there. Look, there's the cathedral. And, and very quickly, he just said, Dad, look, there's a tractor right down here. And it kind of took a five-year-old's eyes for me to see the tractor. I hadn't seen that previously. I believe that this is one of the reasons why diversity in the body of Christ is so important, that we enrich one another's vision. We help each other see things that previously we hadn't seen. It takes different sets of eyes to see different unities that are available in Christ. And if we're made in the image of God, then we each reflect something of that image back into the creative world. So how can we learn from our differences rather than kind of put up barriers and, um, and failing to embrace them? And this again is why I think um, I believe passionately that young people need the local church. I also believe passionately that the local church needs young people. They help us see the world differently and that we can be blessed and enriched by their vision of things. And so often we say things like, well, young people are the church of the future, but I want to just gently push up and say, young people are part of our church now. They're part of the body of Christ. Paul at no point puts age limits on membership in the body of Christ. And this brings me to my second point, last point. What is the body of Christ for? What's its purpose? Why is Jesus forming this thing called church? This perhaps is a whole other sermon, or perhaps a series of sermons for another time. Um, but I think that this passage is demonstrating two things, two sides of the same coin. The first side is that this is about our belonging together and the Lordship of our head, King Jesus. So a, a diverse community submitted to one another and to Jesus in love. But it's also about serving belonging to another. It's a community on a mission, family with a purpose. So in the body of Christ, we become Christ's hands and feet to carry out his mission of making disciples. And key to this is that we all have a part to play. Everybody gets to play. Notice what he says in verse 25. He says um, that there's no division in the body. Uh, but that is part should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. So if we were to say, okay, young people are not a church of the future, they're part of the body of Christ today. And how we enabling them to, to be parts of the body that help the whole body function? Because if we um, only Separate and break divisions, the whole body will not be able to function. The whole body begins to suffer. I want to argue that developmental modules can't work in the body of Christ. We just um, you know, can't just say we're waiting until you're older, because if you're part of the body of Christ now, and we need them in order for the whole body to carry out its mission. The body in the business of being multi ethnic, intergenerational, diverse community. God is calling his church to this, united under the Lordship of Christ, embracing our differences and being united in him. Okay. And so last year our reflections um, were around this idea of being uh, led as an organisation into chaplaincy 
this kind of sense of being drawn into the kind of a relational presence. And this year, we're very much thinking along the same theme, but thinking about the diversity and the community and the teams that it takes to do that. How can we build communities of presence with communities, perhaps we could call them, in the schools themselves? And this is our invitation to local churches this year, that if you would be interested in being part of a team in local schools, we would love to have that conversation with you. Um, to kind of share sort of our learning and um, resourcing around chaplaincy and see how we can be part of the body of Christ on mission in local schools. Thank you.